Lord be with you. I uh, was reminded by the song we just sung. There are people right now, this kind of this season uh, in time, I don't know what, you, what I want to call it, that are going through periods of stress, anxiety, fear, depression. And uh, the song that we just sang was a good reminder. I'm going to sing myself out of the valley, uh, the, the encouragement to worship and be reminded of who ultimately is in control. But some of us uh, attempt to eat ourselves out of the valley, right? A few of us have put on, a, me included, a few extra pounds during this uh, uh, last several months. Uh, but th it's true that there are many who are struggling with feelings of anxiety and depression, and not least of the many issues that are causing it uh, is the political climate that we're in right now. The stakes are high, the divide is deep, and uh, let's be honest, both parties have failed us with lies and deceit, grabs for power, greed, um, self-serving, divisive. Character matters, and when it comes to leadership, Harry Truman had a sign that was on that resolute desk in the Oval Office that said, the buck stops here. You have a choice, you have a voice, you have a voice in the kind of leader or leaders that this nation elects. So I just want to remind you and encourage you to be sure to vote. Jesus had quite a lot to say about leadership, especially about the religious leadership of Israel. He reserved his strongest critique and condemnation for those who were in positions of leadership. He called them blind guides, liars, murderers, sons of hell. And they proved him right when they conspired together to take his life. Israel's leaders failed to represent God to the nation, and Israel as a nation failed to represent God to the world. Leadership matters. Both leaders and people, by and large, failed to recognize God's visitation in the Christ. Instead, they clung to the status quo, to their positions of power and privilege. Jesus and everything that he represented was for them a threat to their uh, security, a, a, threat, a threat to their um, to their alliance with empire. Now, we may sympathize with Israel and its religious leaders. We may think, well, we might have done the same thing. They were only trying to be true and faithful to what they knew and what they believed. But even that wasn't quite true because Jesus chided them or he, he really called them hypocrites because they weren't even living up to what they professed to believe or do. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, Jesus pronounces seven woes on the, the uh, religious teachers of the law. Jesus was angry, but he was also distressed for the, for the leaders. He was distressed for the people of Israel. And this is what he said in Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. It's an ominous warning of not so good things to come. Well, it was Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And Israel had three years, if you think about it, to witness Jesus' life and ministry, to experience grace, to, dis to discover a God of love, to hear the good news of the kingdom of God, and to see that kingdom released, opened to others uh, who had been previously, many of them had previously been shut out or excluded, and they had witnessed miracle after miracle, people being healed, set free, 
um, uh, uh, even raised from the dead on a few occasions, a few. But still Israel's leaders stubbornly refused to recognize or acknowledge God at work in their midst. They show up in the temple courts on Tuesday morning. This is again Holy Week. They show up at the temple courts on Tuesday morning to confront Jesus, who the day before had overturned the tables, publicly shaming them as leaders. And they wanted, they're demanding of Jesus by what authority he's doing these things. And in response, Jesus does what he had done on so many previous occasions. He tells a story. Actually, he told three stories. The parable of the two sons, the parable of uh, the tenants, and the parable of the wedding banquet. And all three of those stories, all three of those stories are about Israel, and they are a judgment on the failed leadership of Israel especially. I should mention this, that nothing Jesus says is um, anti-Semitic. Jesus is a Jew. These are his people, the people of God. But Jesus is both angered and grieved by their lack of faith and obedience. And we need to listen in and, and lean in because what Jesus spoke to them 2,000 years ago, to Israel, to their leaders, is relevant for us as well today. We're going to look at only the first of those three stories, and it's the parable of the two sons. I'm reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, or chapter 21, beginning with verse 28. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Now, any of you with children know how this goes, right? You tell the kids to pick up their room or do a chore, and the child maybe balk at it or resist it or complain, but then eventually comes around and does what you've asked them to do. Or they might, have said, might say right away, yeah, 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 I'll do it. And it doesn't get done, right? The story is simple enough. Well, Jesus turned to the people and he asked them, so which of the two sons did what his father wanted? And of course, his hearers answered the first. Even though the son first said no, he changed his mind and did what his father asked. The other son agreed to work in the vineyard, and whether he intended to or not, he didn't actually go and do it. The story is ultimately about faith and obedience. Who, who in the end is saying yes to God? Who in the end is, is doing God's will or going God's way? Well, Jesus intends for the people and the leaders in particular to see themselves in the story. They are the ones who seemingly have said yes to God, but were not following God's ways or, or living a with God life. They paid lip service, but their hearts were far from God. They were going through the motions, doing their religious duty, but inside they were unchanged. There was no hunger or passion for God. There was no passion for the priorities of God. Instead, they were often puffed up with pride, with self-righteousness. They nitpicked at rules and laws. And they were busy managing, policing the boundaries, the boundary markers, determining who's in and who's out. How easy it is for religious people to fall into those same ruts or to become, in the words of Mark Twain, as he once said, Christian in the worst sense of the word. Jesus reveals in a shocking way 
who the people are who are truly doing what God asked. Verse 31, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Well, here we are, day two, and Jesus is overturning the tables again. How can tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes enter the kingdom of God ahead of people who were religious, righteous, devout, worshiping, tithing, serving, believers, priests, pastors, theologians, bishops? Well, Jesus, Jesus explains how they missed the boat. Verse 32, he says, For John, that's John the Baptist, came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Many of the religious people and, and leaders in Israel failed to respond to the ministry and message of John the Baptist as well as that of Jesus, the Messiah. But others did. The broken, the hurting, the addicted, the sin-sick, the oppressed, the shunned and excluded. Those who recognized their need for grace and forgiveness. And seeing tax collectors and prostitutes coming to God should have prompted them to look at themselves and, and to recognize their own desperate need for God. The parable's a warning. It cautions us against assuming that involvement in religious life and claiming religious authority are guarantees of legitimacy or theological accuracy. Those of us who are engaged in religious life should be the least presumptuous, both of ourselves and of those who we think or assume are on the outside. We are reminded by the parable that initial responses are not ultimate responses. Whether one says no to God, no to faith, no to following Christ, or whether one says yes to God. An initial refusal does not have to stay a refusal, and an initial agreement is not enough. It must be lived. Listen, getting baptized, saved, responding to an altar call, praying a prayer, inviting Jesus into your heart are all ways of saying yes to God. But that initial affirmation of faith or consent to God is not enough. It means continuing, continuing to be open to the ways that God is at work around you or in the world or the ways especially that God desires to be at work in you. Does your life say yes to God? As others look at you or observe you, do they see you living out your calling? Do they see you growing in love? Do you possess peace and joy? Does your heart beat for the things of God? Are you passionate about the priorities of God? Is your life a blessing to others? Are you generous with your time and your resources? Is your life marked by healthy relationships and deep community? Are you safe, welcoming, and hospitable? Is it apparent that Christ is living in you and that your identity is found in him? Is the image of God being revealed in, in you in a way that others are prompted to take a step closer to God? I'm not talking about perfection, but progress. Faith, walking with Jesus, is a journey, striving to stay in step with the Spirit of God. And listen, if you, if you have been saying no to God, it's not too late to repent, to 
change your mind and enter into the kingdom. No one is excluded from that kingdom. No one is excluded from that kingdom except by their own unwillingness. Have you said yes to God? And are you living into that affirmation? Life is too short. Life is too short to miss the real thing. Life is too short to not be the real thing. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, we come before you and thank you, God, for the ways that you have revealed yourself to us, made yourself known, the ways that you, have, that you call us, God, not only to faith, but to call us to be at work with you in your vineyard, in your kingdom. Forgive us, God, for sometimes being slow to respond or sometimes perhaps even refusing to respond. And God, as you prompt and help us to say yes to you, we pray that your spirit would enable and empower us to walk with you in, in willingness. God, may our hearts be, be, be inclined toward you. God, may you give to each of us a greater hunger and thirst for you that we may seek you and serve you in ways that bring you honor and glory, in ways, God, that bless our neighbor and our world. God, make us faithful. Let our yes be yes. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.